What's going on, Serial Progress Seekers? Marshall here. And on today's episode, Tabitha and I get to sit down and chat with yet another Serial Progress Seeker. We're going to talk about what to do when you're faced with change. So maybe you're facing change in your personal life or your current job, or maybe you're considering taking that next big step to begin a whole new personal or professional adventure This conversation is actually just meant to help you get some tips, some strategies, some techniques on how to bet on yourself when that change does come about. So this is episode 87 of the Serial Progress Seeker podcast. Welcome to the Serial Progress Seeker podcast, where we share blueprints for building an unconventional life. Each week, we conduct expert interviews, talk strategies, and share advice for escaping the nine to five and building a life where you are free to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, all while making an excellent living. Okay, Serial Progress Seekers, let's get started with the show. All right, Tabitha, I got a really funny question for you. This is going to be a nice little uh, kickoff, I think, into our conversation here today. But I was thinking about what we're going to be talking about today, and it started making me think about times when I've bet on myself, Um, you know, whether it be from a professional standpoint or a personal standpoint. And uh, it got me kind of thinking, I want to know from your from your standpoint, are there have there been any times and if you can you point to one, maybe tell me about the biggest gamble you've ever taken, whether it's, you know, some sort of goofy personal story or something professional that kind of led you to something big. So I'll tell you, I'm not a gambler. Like I can throw $20 in a toilet, flash the lights <laughs> on and off, flush it. And it's about the yeah. same, you know, dopamine hit for me as that would be. <laughs> I do that a lot. I do that yeah. a lot. It's just in different forms. Yeah. 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 So I'm not <laughs> a big gambler when it comes to just the traditional gambling. But if you yeah. ask me about personally, a time that I bet on myself would probably be when I left a cushy job uh, to go work for a very, very small business uh, that was Uh. just getting off the ground, didn't have any benefits, didn't pay a whole heck of a lot. But I had a lot of belief in that business and uh, it went really far. It went really, really far. It was a really good, uh, really good bet. (laughs) So you won. You won the bet. I did. I won the bet. It was the best decision. So I got to tell you, as someone who does gamble occasionally, you know, you know, for personal reasons and for professional reasons, it's hard to win. <laughs> I could, I could yeah. just tell you that. So, uh, that's awesome. That's cool. It's, I, mine's kind of similar. Um, it just, it's, it's from a professional standpoint, but I'll tell you, you may not even know this, but, uh, when I graduated college, I went to school at Arkansas state, which we've talked about before I graduated on a Saturday and my, I had these big grandiose plans that I was going to move to Nashville and get in the music business. That's, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't, I don't, I'm not, I wasn't trying to sing or play or anything like that. What I wanted to do was get on the business side. I wanted to do uh, like artist relations stuff, you know, uh, PR, stuff like that. So I was just excited to get to Nashville. I knew Nashville was the place I wanted to be. So I graduated on Saturday. I packed up my car and moved to Nashville on Monday. And let me tell you, that was a uh, that was a gamble. I didn't have a job. I didn't have really I had been looking for a while, um, but I I just kind of went. Uh, I just it just seemed like the kind of the fun thing to do and 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 the right thing to do because it was what I wanted and stuff. And of course, you know, when I got there, all I did was wait tables and bartend and do all <laughs> the other things that uh, everybody does in Nashville when they first get to town, you know? So, um, but that was, you know, honestly, you know, looking back, I look back, that was in, uh, that was in um, several years ago. <laughs> and I will say that I, I'm proud of that gamble and feel, feel pretty good about it. But uh, that's kind of what leads into what we're going to talk about today, because I think 
We've got someone here with us that is going to really be able to shed some really cool light on ways to really bet on yourself. Because, uh, you know, as we all know, we've all, you know, been in the game for a while, the professional game and the personal game and living our lives. It's it's uh, there's a lot of chances and, and a lot of opportunities that come along where you have to go. You know what? I got to. I kind of, I kind of got to show up, you know, I got to do this. I got to figure out what's, what's next for me. And, uh, and that's why, and, and honestly, that's why I really thought, uh, this particular guest was going to make a really perfect example of that. Now, our guest today, his name is Shane. His name is Shane Bolander. Um, he is an old buddy of mine, old work colleague of mine. We've, we've played a lot of fantasy football over the years. We've talked a lot of sports trash over the years, had a lot of fun, but, uh, more importantly, I, I always looked up to Shane. Shane is always been a guy that is just a solid guy. Someone who's very dependable, works very, very hard. And he's very, very sharp about the things that he is, you know, really focused in on. And I always think that that, to me, that kind of embodies a serial progress seeker, someone who's, you know, consistently sharpening their skills and, and learning to get better. So without further ado, what's going on, Shane? Are you coming in through loud and clear today, buddy? I hope so. Can you hear me? You look good and you sound good, my friend. How's it going today? I appreciate it. It's going good. Nice weather for early February down here in the Memphis area. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you're you're in the Memphis area. Tell us about where you are. Uh, where I'm currently at Southland Casino and Hotel. So we are a a casino and a hotel. There you go. It's in West <laughs> Memphis, Arkansas. So when I, the easier way for me to describe this because you would think that West Memphis people would go, oh, oh, Memphis, Tennessee. Sometimes I have to go. It's across the river from Memphis, Tennessee, and they go, oh, okay. Right. Right. But I thought saying West Memphis, Arkansas might do that. But I, I, as I've lived down here now for 17 years, wow, it's been that long. I just did the math in my head. Um, <laughs> I still find that. Just like this place used to have Greyhound racing all the way up until the end of last year, there's still a lot of people that will call this place just the dog track, as you know, Marshall, because that right. was one of the things in marketing that you guys, that, that got your blood boiling. You spent a couple sure of did. million dollars rebranding, and they go, oh, the dog track. And you'd be like, oh, it sure did. Like we didn't spend enough money. And look at that place now. Good grief. It's yeah. just a sprawling, beautiful place. We're going to get more into that. But I obviously right now you're focusing these days directly on kind of the audio visual element of what's going on yeah. there at the casino. But you're also kind of focusing on sports wagering. And we're going to dig into more of that in a little bit. But before this current role, and you just touched on it a little bit, you spent, I think, over 30 years in the Greyhound racing business. Is that right? Yeah, and it definitely wasn't a, a stop that I thought of like you did where I heard you say, you know, right after I graduated, I was going to Nashville. I wanted to be in the music industry. Uh, with me, it was, okay, I wanted to go to college and be a meteorologist. Weather always fascinated me. As a matter of fact, oh. there's a story that was always told that when I was like nine months old at a, at a grandma's farm out west of Fort Dodge, Iowa, I guess she was rocking me and there was a tornado way off in the distance in the fields. And I guess my eyes were incredibly big, like at nine months old, I was just staring at it. And wow. so they always said, oh, we knew you were going to be a weather freak or a weather nut. And <laughs> I always thought that meant I was going to be on TV doing the weather. And so I did. I looked into Oklahoma University and Florida State, Wisconsin, some of the big meteorology schools. And I thought this was back in 1901. Um, <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to be 60 some thousand dollars in debt and I'm going to have to work Channel 3 News in Grand Island, Nebraska <laughs> on the weekend shift, making maybe 17000 a year. Yep. And so in my mind, as you know, I'm very analytical, which will probably be a theme as you, you watch this <laughs> podcast. But 
At that time, I wasn't so sure I wanted to go through with that. And then lo and behold, my dad says, you need to get a job. And he happened to be a, a teller at a racetrack in town, a Greyhound racetrack. And so oh, wow. when he says, I think you need to get a job, what he really meant was, is I talked to somebody and you have a job tomorrow at four. <laughs> And it was leading the Greyhounds from the uh, the paddock, as they call it, the place where they hang out until they race and take them down to the starting box, load them up, and then get them when they're done racing. And wow, I just at that point I fell in love with the Greyhound because being a sports fan, I played a lot of sports growing up. And I thought these are very athletic dogs. I've never seen a dog run forty miles an hour, <laughs> and I got hooked. And thirty three years later, and I tried leaving a couple of different times, Marshall. I mean. Uh, I had broadcast experience in high school. I went to broadcasting school. I was going to be one of those shock jocks for a oh, while. Okay. And I graduated one month after 9-11 when everybody froze up, everybody started laying everybody off, and then voice tracking became a thing to save money. Oh, and wow. so that kind of, that slammed the door, at least short term, when I was looking to get out back in 2001. Wow. Yeah, so I continue. That's kind of the the quick version of where I got from high school and thirty three years in this business. It was is kind of that timeline. So, were you grateful that your dad got you that job there? And the reason I asked that is because I've got a sixteen year old son who will be sixteen on Monday, and my his, my husband and I we've got him two jobs lined up. Like he doesn't have to go look for it. I'm like, I got you two jobs. This is where you're gonna go work. <laughs> yep. Um. I'm grateful he decided that was the job because going to high school, I was going, getting up at five in the morning and going to a vet clinic, which was located about three quarters of a block down from my high school. I'd be cleaning cages and taking care of the animals and then running to my first class by 8 a.m. And I just getting up at 430 to be there at five and all that stuff. It was it was it was brutal, but I did it. And now having a job where they raced at night, so I could do, I could sleep until I had to go to school and right after school, go from there to work. And then I was still home by 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and everything was great. So I, he kind of instilled that work ethic, like, you know, stuff doesn't come free uh, mm -hmm. and you're going to find that out. And of course, when I started drawing my own cash, instead of having to borrow $20, I thought that was the greatest thing. Yeah. And unfortunately, the first probably year and a half, I thought that the only place you could spend money was at Hooters. Because that's where I was every weekend, blowing my check for a while. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm grateful for it, and he he had that work ethic instilled to him. If you can imagine, you know, him growing up in the 1950s and 60s, it was the guy's place to go and work. Still back in those days, yeah. And so he always felt he needed a job to take care of his family. Uh, so when you when you think about when you think back on that first job. And you kind of point to that and start thinking about the skills that you started to develop. What kind of things were you starting to build at that point that you think you could you, you still kind of carry over to this day? You know, probably about six months in, I started noticing some folks that I got to know through that job. I guess you could say advancing and moving up. And I don't know how a lot of people think in 15, 16, 17 years old back then, but I was just, I got a job, yeah. you know, I get it, I get it paid on Friday. I come back, I got a schedule. I look at it and I started seeing people advancing and then not only advancing, you know, their pay was increasing too. And not that that was a brand new idea to me, but I wasn't thinking far ahead. I was just thinking to the next day. Sure. 
And then I started getting and talking to them and I started seeing them, you know, being able to get little nicer cars. They started getting their own apartments by doing this. And I thought, you know what, I, I, I'd like to advance. What do I need to do to, to get to the next level? And I started asking those questions. What do you need to see from me or what do I need to learn or do so I can make the next step? And luckily, um, and I give him all the credit in the world today, even uh, Jim Ebbs is his name, was my very first boss. Uh, that I consider the guy at the vet clinic wasn't rarely there, uh, yeah. you know, so, but he was the one I saw daily and he was the one that basically grew me. And the one thing that he let you do, as long as it wasn't detrimental is he let you fail. Mm. And I remember one time asking him a question and I know he said, oh, you'll figure it out. And yeah, I figured it out. All right. I ended up, it wasn't a good result. Yeah. And I went in there and he goes, yeah, that didn't work, did it? And I said, no. And I go, why didn't you tell me what to do? And he goes, because you're never going to learn by on your own if I'm telling you everything you need to do. Mm. He goes, if it was going to be detrimental, I would have stopped you. But these are the experiences you need. And I just soaked that in for, I swear, Marshall, it was like a week. I could still think about that eating at the dinner table where it just opened my eyes going, you know, failing, failing's okay. And failing's yeah. a part of life if you learn from it. Yep. And that was the key. And boy, I followed him to Texas. He thought enough of me. There was a new track opening in Texas. Took me down there. That was the first time I moved away from home. Like you, I graduated. And three days later, I was driving in a car to an unknown. I mean, I might have been to Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. But I went all the way south to Houston, Texas. Wow. Cultural difference. <laughs> uh, weather difference. Mm -hmm. I mean... It was just an amazing thing for a guy that basically turned 18 years old to go and experience. And I did the whole thing all over again. First time I saw a massive racetrack like that. First time I was actually in charge of multiple people. So yeah. learning to be a mentor and a boss was part of that experience. And then the next several years, I was moving around the country and learning different aspects, raising my hand when things became available, even if I didn't really think I'd like it. Because you just never know how valuable that'll be later on down the road. Man, what a crazy, insanely good lesson to learn, like right off the bat. Hey, it's okay to fall on your face. We we talk about that around here all the time. Mm -hmm. Like that means you're going and you're doing. So it's okay. Um, that's that's really, really awesome. But obviously, so, you know, not to just keep knocking on the uh, betting metaphor here, but <laughs> you, you obviously doubled down on Greyhound racing throughout your entire career. Do you ever think, you said 33 years, do you ever think it was going to last that long? And and what uh, what do you kind of attribute that longevity to? Well, two things, really. The first one was I, I love the dogs. I mean, to see them every day, no matter how crappy of a day it might be, they always lifted my spirits. And so it was yeah. great to come in and just see literally hundreds of greyhounds on a given day, yep. all wagging their tails, all wanting attention. And anytime you needed a stress reliever, I just walked out my office door and I found it. Yeah. So that was part of it. But I did try to get out of it into broadcasting because I knew in my heart, like, I liked what I'm doing and I love the dogs. But I thought being able to entertain somehow and, and do things in that field was probably where my heart really lied when it mm -hmm. came down to it. And then 9-11 happened. And then that kind of closed the door or at least put it to where it was barely cracked. And so I had to go to plan B for a while, which luckily was something I enjoyed still, which was greyhound racing. Yeah. But now, as you know, or maybe not, but I think you do, is as of 1231 last year, we stopped racing. And so it's the first time in 33 years that 
that was not no or that wasn't a part of my life anymore on a daily basis as far as overseeing it and directing it. Yeah, that's crazy. That's what kind of what kind of feeling that give you? I'm I'm sure there's a lot of emotions Ooh. that came with that. Um, but what about what about you know was it it was December 31st, right? It was it was 12:31 was yeah. the last day. What what was that day like for you? I didn't sleep the day before. Man, I bet. Um, yeah, because you you didn't really know what to. I've never been through that. I've been through openings. I've been through seasonal tracks where you just moved and you knew the next day or the next week it was racing again. Right. So that was the uh, new, and then you had all the employees. I mean, at the time we had like twenty seven folks that were going to be in limbo as well from a job perspective. Are you going to stay on in a different position with us? Do you want to move on? I'm trying to coordinate all that. And so when it finally came time to do it on the thirty first. Is like, I know it's going to be emotional, but I don't know at what point it's going to hit. Right. And then you saw everybody coming out that you haven't seen in years because they know this is the last time. So you see old faces and then they're crying or they're getting emotional. You're going, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it just yet. And I'm trying to turn the other way and I'm not going to do it just yet. And then in the last race, it just, as it was going around and you knew it was happening, it hit. Man. And then everybody's balling, you know, and it, yeah. it, it's a different, it's a weird, like, it was like the relief. And the best way I could put this was when somebody asked me, how do I feel about it? I said, it was like when you knew your parents as you grew up and were teenagers really didn't like each other. And then they tell you once you graduate and got out of the house, hey, we're getting a divorce. And you kind of sense that that was going to be the result anyway. And so it, there was a moment of sadness, but there was also a moment of understanding that this day was coming. And yeah. we had three years. It wasn't just they put out a memo and a, hey, <laughs> next week we're done. Right. We had a three-year window that we knew this was coming. So um, from that aspect, I think it helped from a planning stage, which I'm all about. So, you know, I, I'm analytical and I'm a planner. If I can put those two things together, I feel good about taking chances in other fields or eras or whatever. And uh, I think that that's part of what uh, makes me where I'm at today, how I can be adaptable. I'm not a big, obviously I said I'm not a big gambler. So was this just a, <laughs> a internal decision to stop the dog racing or is this like across the board? Like there's no more dog racing at all going on. And I feel like really dumb asking that, but I don't know no, anything about no, it. <laughs> By no means don't. So, you know, back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way really until the 80s, it was greyhound racing and horse racing outside of Vegas if you wanted to gamble. And so there were at one time 50 556 tracks in the United States, Greyhound tracks. Lotteries came on. Casinos started getting out of Las Vegas. More entertainment for your dollar. Netflix, internet, lottery. I mean, it is poker rooms started filtrate. So everybody's money started getting split up and Greyhound racing just wasn't as profitable as it used to be for companies. And so slowly but surely, tracks started closing. And then you have the animal rights piece to it. So mm -hmm. as we've progressed... Okay. Uh, they've had a voice in it, and so they've run ballot referendums. And like in Florida, it's now illegal, even though that they had it since the 1920s. Um, so it's a lot of economic forces combined that caused it to slowly decline. And gotcha. now you have it in West Virginia. That's, That's about it. it. Wow. Yeah. I'm kind of sad now because all my college buddies used to go over and watch the dog races, and I never went with them. <laughs> and now I'm never going to have an opportunity. <laughs> Unless you go to West Virginia somehow. Yeah, not happening. <laughs> 
Okay, well then there you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's weird. I didn't realize that it, they kept it in West Virginia, but um, you know, and and, and I'll, I'll tell you, Shane, some someone's going to be listening to this and they're going to go, you know what? Good for those greyhounds and stuff like that. But I think we, sh- I think it's important because I know your background with this. Tell us about how those greyhounds were treated and how, like, the adoption process afterwards after their program, because I think that's a really important piece that people should understand if they don't already. Right. So, you know, um, I'll go through the entire in a short snippet history. Yeah. Take it to the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and up to the mid 80s. Like a lot of things, animals were treated as livestock and property and there were no adoption groups. So although some returned to breeding and some went to homes, they were very few. A lot of them they had no room for them and they were euthanized, just like cattle, just like horses, just like everything else. All right. Then adoption groups, we saw this in the 80s and we're like, hey, we got a lot of tracks. There are people that really love the dogs and they work great in homes. Let's start adoption. So in the late 80s and 90s, there became adoption groups. And by the late 90s, they were the most adopted breed in the country. Mm. 99% adoption rate. I know a lot of people go, oh, that's impossible. There's records. Wow. 99% adoption rate. So that continued, but the injury piece that can happen during racing was the big stigler, right? Because you could see a dog potentially get hurt on the track. And even though it was maybe less than 1% of the time out of all the races, if you see it once, you'd be like, oh, the poor dogs. Yeah. What a lot of people didn't realize, and it was a little too late in the game, like we here at Southland, we started a, a fund back in 2010 that took care of the surgery costs and the recoup costs. to get these dogs back so they could be adopted. And so I'm very proud. You got bad apples in any industry. So I'm not saying that there weren't any greyhounds that were abused by some, can we say jackass on your podcast? Like some some jackass that decided they weren't going to treat a greyhound right. But by and large, after 33 years of firsthand seeing it, inspecting it and going, at least at the racetrack level, I saw very few cases of those. And the three times that I did see it, we revoked the bookings on those folks and got them out of our business. Yeah. So, and and I've always told this, and if I can get this last thing in, Marshall. Yeah. I've, I've never minded it when people say that they don't agree with greyhounds or any animal being used for sport or entertainment. I get that. I, I'm not going to argue anybody with that. And if you don't like the gamble, I don't even argue that. Yeah. The part that I just gets me is the ones that act like they've been there and seen it because they saw something on Reddit mm-hmm. or some Facebook post, and then they go and regurgitate it like it's the actual truth. Right. And they've never once stepped foot in a racetrack. They never once stepped foot in a farm and saw it for their own eyes. That's the part that gets me is at yeah. least be the firsthand account of what it is and just don't believe what you read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I think that's huge. And I'm, I'm glad, glad you got a Get to kind of like Tabitha, you can see there's a lot of passion here. Um, And and it's, it it comes not only from years in the business, but it's because you actually care, Jane. And I can speak to that as much as anybody because I, I saw you do it for years and years. But so fast forward to now though. Let's, 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 let's put 1231 to the side real quick. Right now, what you're doing is you are the director of audiovisual and, and, and in a form sports wagering at Southland. So tell us, tell us what that means and what's your, what's your day to day like. So all the audiovisual systems, speakers, TVs, projectors, anything that almost blinks, it seems like, 
uh, <laughs> is under my purview. And we just went through a 300 and some million dollar expansion over the last couple of years, brand new building, brand new hotel. So we've had a lot of new updated AV systems installed in the last year I got to learn and play with. So that's been fun. <laughs> and then what's left of simulcast horse racing and dog racing is still here. And we combined it with our sports book. So it's a true race and sports book like you would find in Vegas, for instance. That's- and uh, so I've gone more from, even though they do place wagers on animals still here uh, in different forms, now they just transferred their, and they're betting on humans kicking, throwing, <laughs> or shooting a basketball or a football yeah. or whatever. And, uh, you know, sometimes that can be just as fun because I'm a sports guy too, like Marshall. Sure. Like I, you know, take all kinds of crap for being a Cowboys fan. And uh, <laughs> during football season with fantasy football, I can talk trash with the best of them as Marshall knows. So oh, yeah. um, uh, that's, for a good landing spot from what I'm used to, this wasn't as big of a transition for me, but it was a new era outside of Vegas. Yeah. Because remember, sports betting for a long time was illegal until the Supreme Court overturned that decision right before COVID, actually, mm-hmm. um, when New Jersey filed that lawsuit. So it was like as one door was closing, another door was opening. Mm-hmm. And for me, seeing that there was a three-year plan that allowed me to plan time that I better learn this piece. Let me, let me get a taste of this. Let me read what I can read on the internet. Let me go visit him. Let me talk to some people that have been running sports books for a while and just get an idea of what the day-to-day of this stuff is. Yeah. And then that's... Del, you know, Delaware North thought enough of me to said, you know what, we think you can do this. And uh, we would like you to, to fully transition into it once racing's done. And uh, here we are. That's awesome that you I, you obviously were had been setting up your next for a little while and and you talk about the transition but obviously there's had to be some pieces in there obviously it's you're connected a little bit to your prior life but you're doing a lot of different stuff so I'm I'm assuming that you're testing your comfort zone almost every day so what are those steps that you had to take to kind of make that transition that you're talking about and and what specifically like what new skills did you have to go and learn like you say you learned systems and things like that are there specific things that you had to go and put in place? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, from the taking of the sports bets, the the system is pretty simple uh, compared to especially Greyhound or horse racing. I mean, it's just a team and you're not putting things like trifectas together. I mean, right. all these foreign words that scare people, it's like, <laughs> who do you like, Dallas or Philly? You yeah. know, or, <laughs> you know, do you like the over or under this total for total number of points? So that part was easy. The hardest part for me to learn and just understand was the reporting processes were completely different. Mm-hmm. They're much more streamlined in racing, but boy, you're talking futures wagers in sports. Like who's going to win the Super Bowl, but you did it back in September when you made your bet. And, and seeing how that flows through your financials, um, what you can and can't take bets on. Every state's different. Like you can't do any kind of political races here in Arkansas, but in other states, they can take bets on who's going to be president of the United States, for lack of a better word. Wow. Um, <laughs> there was for a while, Marshall, a, a thing where they floated the idea that in Arkansas, you weren't going to be able to bet on any colleges in Arkansas during sports. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd have been tough. Well, you know, that, of course, there's a lot of hog fans and, uh-huh. you know, A-State fans that, I mean, all they were going to do is drive over to Mississippi right. and bet the same game. You know, that's why we tried to tell them you can put that in place if you're worried about corruption or whatever the uh, idea of the rule is. But they're still going to just drive right over the border and do it in another state if that's going to be the case. So there's a lot more regulation in the sports betting than I thought existed when I was going to go into it. So that was a that was a learning curve for me. 
Mm. Yeah, I imagine. So I obviously, you know, during those transitions and you're testing your comfort zone and stuff, you could, you, you know, not to keep harping on this, but you got to bet on yourself a little bit. I mean, you got to, you obviously had to bring something to the table. No, number one, just like you said, for your company to go, okay, this is our guy. We're going to, we're going to ride with him. Um, so what kind of, what, what about your skill set do you think kind of gave you that confidence to be able to, you know, you know, I'm going to pick up the AV portion when you did pick up AV and I'm going to pick up sports wagering when you did pick that up. Like what about your skill set and your acumen? Did you feel like was a good fit for that? When there's numbers involved, I know one of the best things that I think I do is I, I love analyticals. Mm. Like I, I can give you average bets. I can give you peak times of bets. Like I go probably way further than most people would ever want to learn about this stuff, you know, <laughs> including the folks in upper management where they just want a single bottom line. Like, just tell me if we won or lost. Right. <laughs> uh, I have a tendency to write these uh, gargantuan emails, giving you way more information than you ever need. But yeah. that kind of stuff was always driven into me as young. I I feel comfortable, even if there's a risk involved, if I can understand the plus and minuses of what I'm about to do. Mm. Um, so that was good. And then just like anything else, Marshall, like in sports, they talk about the best ability is availability. And from my standpoint, what helped me on early in my life, not that it has to be this way, but I was single and able to move at the drop of a hat when an opportunity arose. So mm. I didn't sit there and go, hey, you know, I really don't want to move here or there. I looked at it. What can I learn? And if I stay two or three years, how does it let me get to the next spot? And that's how I viewed it. Not how oh, great it's South Florida. It's going to be crowded, very expensive and humid. I took <laughs> at it as what am I going to learn? Can I survive? And you know, I had to do some number crunching and many years I had to eat some pretty cheap food. Sure. But I saw the vision out three to five years all the time. And I still look at that today. So even at COVID, to give you a quick example, I had no idea what was going to happen with racing, with casinos, when we were going to get back. Right. So I started looking at the one thing that was going on in this country was stuff was getting trucked around. Mm. So I looked into getting a CDL license. What did that cost? You know, uh, what if I wanted to try to get my own rig uh, and do it that way as an owner operator? How much does a semi cost? I had no idea what any wow. of that stuff was. And I actually had a buddy through a buddy that was doing it currently. And I spent uh, two and a half hours on the phone with him just talking about everything associated with truck driving and CDLs. Wow. Just so I could absorb myself. And then I did a budget. You know, how, how cheap do I need to sell my truck? How much of a decline would this be? And when can I get started? And then that helped me be comfortable that if this didn't open or if they, if I was a casualty that they well, can't bring everybody back, unfortunately you're part of it. I had something ready to go. Yeah. Man. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I think, you know, at a certain point, a lot of us experience that through COVID, but you're right. Like you were probably like, you know what? I don't. I don't know what the next few months holds. So good for you for getting out there and 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 searching and researching and 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 putting the putting the numbers to it because I think, you know, you say you're over analytical or analytical in general. Like I I think that's I think that's smart and it speaks to being prepared um, to for for anything. So I tap that I know you probably kind of agree with the same. What about during COVID? Did you did you experience any of that kind of same feeling? I know obviously you had already kind of settled into the work from home, you know, Me? element of what we're of what yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You'd already I've worked from home for full. 10 plus years. And yeah, yeah, and when COVID hit 
everybody went to online learning and trying to do new skills. And so that just kind of played right into where we were already at. So yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't have, <laughs> I was very blessed. I felt you like we, I was right in the right spot when COVID hit. So you were, you weren't out there researching, uh, getting your CDL and stuff no, like that. That's what you're saying. No, no, okay. no, no, no. I got a brother <laughs> that does that. I know better. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, I want to know, Shane, I had number one, I had no idea that you did that. So what, what came of that? Did you just go, you know what, that's not right for me? Or did you say, you know, I'm going to hold off. I'm going to kind of, again, push my chips in on where I'm, what I'm currently doing. And uh, what, you know, what, what happened there? It was kind of a timing thing because CDLs weren't holding classes either because of COVID. Oh. You can only do so much online to get a CDL. You physically got to drive truck and you got to go get drug tests and all that other stuff to get it. And about probably three weeks before a class was about to begin, I get a call. Hey, uh, we're, we're bringing back racing in about three weeks. We need to get you back on the payroll and we need you to get started on planning to bring it back in mid-June. And so it kind of said, all right, well, this plan B then can stay on the shelf because it wasn't something necessarily I was you just... Oh, I got to drive a truck. It's, it's like my life dream. <laughs> that wasn't it. But sure. in reality, I had a family and uh, she was out of work too. My wife was out of work. And I said, I got to do something just in case this don't go down. I'm not going to just sit there right. and expect somebody else to solve the problem, which if I knew in all the free money that was going to be given out over the years, I probably wouldn't have looked so hard at it, but no, nah, I just kidding. Um, so that's what it was. And, and maybe you both can, because I know Marshall, when you told me basically that you quit, what you were doing to work for this venture with, with Ben. Yeah. Um, I thought, man, this is a pretty interesting jump. I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if I could do that. Yeah. You know, but I remember Jim telling me about the, the Jim Ebbs that I was telling you about earlier saying that the unknown is only scary if you don't look into it. So the more you can look into it and find out about it, the less scary it becomes. Can it fail? Yeah. Yeah, I could have gotten the CDL absolutely hated and go great. Now I'm twenty grand in the hole, and I it sucks. Yeah, but I did. I did, I made the phone calls. I looked online. I spent hours looking at it. And so even though there was still some unknown factor to it, a will I like it? It was more like, hey, I, I got A, B, and C here. You know, I know mm-hmm. how much it's going to cost me. I know how much I can make. I know what's going to involve my time wise from a family aspect. And so it's not as scary anymore. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people don't do in life, unfortunately, is that they earn to try something else. But I know what I got here and it's comfortable. I'm not quite sure about what's over there. Yeah. yeah. And it stops people cold, right, Tab? Yes, so much so. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because my husband and I, after he kind of got freaked out during COVID because he was working in a factory and that obviously got affected too. And he was like, you know what? I'm tired of working for somebody else. I want to do something else. And a friend of ours was selling his um, custom cabinet shop. And I was like, great, go take a week off work, go learn, go spend time with him for an entire week. See if you even like it. And then we'll go down that rabbit hole. So now we're two years into owning our own business. (laughs) No, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's the perfect example. And I I, yeah. I think, that, that, honestly, Shane, as you were talking there, it started painting a picture in my head. And I was thinking back to that time for me, too. And, you know, it really does, you know, the way I see it in my head is kind of like you were, I was standing at the end of a diving board. And I, I know what's down there. And I know I can swim. But 
you know, it's still still pretty scary. I'm going to you know what? And at, at some point you're going to take a jump and you're going to tread. But the good thing is you got a lot of lifelines. So if you end at the right place, like for me, uh, you know, the Serial Progress Seeker team was the perfect lifeline for me because I could latch on to all these people that were willing to help me and 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 kind of, you know, bring me up to, to to get my head above water and stuff like that, too. So I I just see that as a a perfect correlation of, a, you know, when you when you lean on what, you know, which is I, I know how to swim then you can forget about all the stuff that you don't know mm-hmm. lean on what you know and then you can you can just take the jump and then i'll figure the rest out when i get in the water you know type thing so yeah that's it's, that's kind of the way i feel about it and uh yeah it's i think that's the perfect kind of correlation so i'm glad you painted that 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 a little picture there for us but so so fast forward to now we, okay. we're specifically talking about now what's going on your day-to-day right now and then what do you kind of see you know a little bit ahead what's what's on the horizon for you well, right now it's all about the Super Bowl on Sunday. It's the biggest oh, sure. day in sports betting. So yeah. um, we're, we're expecting a crowd. We're expecting a lot of wagers between Kansas City and Philadelphia. So short terming in the next four days, we got a, I got a podcast tomorrow. Uh, if you don't mind me plugging it real quick, it's the oh. Odds Brothers podcast. Uh, myself and Mark, it's a sports betting themed type of uh, podcast. We have a yeah. lot of fun during it, but we pick games and, and give each other crap for the picks we do. But uh, that's the very short term. Long term. My goal is to continue to learn the mobile side of sports betting because that's the next big thing that I guess you could say is already here. Okay. And absorb that. And then I've got like a uh, a 15-year window is where I found. I just turned 50 last month. So I've, I've kind of painted a around 65. I want to do something if I want to do it. And if I don't want to do anything by that time, I don't have to do it. There you go. And so... This avenue right now, I'm liking enough. I want to do more uh, of the podcast stuff because uh, I really enjoy the broadcast and the entertainment. Marshall, you know the remember the old Associate of the Year programs and months. Oh yeah, stuff. A oh, lot yeah. of people wondered why I wasn't a comedian all those years. <laughs> I, I'd probably be completely canceled by now if that was right. the case. But uh, <laughs> I, I do like the entertainment piece of it, and I do like the sports betting. So that's where I'm I'm concentrating a lot of my energy. And as always, you know, I do have a plan B and even a C if something gets thrown out there in the middle of these things that I don't foresee right now. So I feel real good about if the worst happened tomorrow, I'm going to be okay. I've got another plan ready to go. That's got to be a pretty darn good feeling too. Yeah. It was, and you know what? It it was never that way. This wasn't something that I just did since birth or since sixteen or seventeen. I mean, realistically, this hit me at about oh, probably thirty two, thirty three years old. It was the first time I sustained a major injury. I dislocated my shoulder playing softball. Oh wow! And it and it knocked me out of work. And at that time, I I the work I did had no health benefits. And I started looking around and talking to people had retirements and pensions and stuff. And I'm like, I'm already 30 years old. Statistically, a third of my life is done at this point. I better hurry up and figure out some things before I end up. Unfortunately, I I use this and my dad will agree. My my dad wasn't this way. So he relies 100% on social security and it isn't much. And I just, I remember when I saw, I'm not, I don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. I I think there's more than that. So that kind of kicked me in my butt and I go, I need to figure this stuff out. And it's kind of scary taking that first step because you don't know which, you don't know if you need to step to the right, straight ahead or the left. So you kind of walk this DUI line is what I call it. (laughs) You get pulled over at any minute and you hit a wall real quick and you go, okay, so I'm going to not do that again. A little more to the left. Yeah. (laughs) Don't do that again. And I'm going to kind of cheat this way. And this is a little smoother path. And then, Hey, I really like this. And then 
course, everything became a lot easier with the internet and the availability to sit at home and look stuff up. Back in the day, you had to find people and hope that they were willing to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which could be a challenge in the '80s and '90s to do. If they didn't know you, be like, I don't. Who are you? So. <laughs> To me, to, to answer long term, Marshall, I, I think I found if everything goes straight, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing today. I get to mess with technology, which is fun. And uh, I get to have fun with the podcast. And then, of course, I'm comfortable with sports betting. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's got enough interest from like, OK, I, I enjoy watching sports. And now it just happened. We could lose 100 grand or make 100 grand on this game. That's something new. <laughs> yeah. but outside of that. Uh, wow. it, Always know, on the edge that, of your seat. Yeah, I can't imagine that kind of uh, pressure. <laughs> and just to let you know, because I, I didn't know, uh, and this is fine. If Ben was on the show today, when I watched a podcast of his, even at 50 years old, the one thing he said was you were kind of trained that you had to get this 40 hour job. Uh-huh. Like that was the way life worked. And I'm thinking, I thought yeah. that's that's the way it did work. You uh-huh. know, in my mind, I watched my father do it, my grandfather do it, all my everybody was doing that that I knew for the most part. And I thought, you know what? He's right. Yeah. I mean, it's still at 50. If you're willing to keep your eyes and your ears open and just listen, which seems to be a little bit of a challenge these days, <laughs> uh, you might learn some things, open your eyes up and get you to ask that next question. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're watching this today. And you're not quite satisfied with that. Start asking the questions. Start looking some stuff up. And I, I guarantee you, it's not going to be that scary. Because I can tell you what happened when I dislocated my shoulder. I was I was scared. Crap. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have money to pay the bills. I couldn't work. I didn't have a fallback plan. It, it taught me I better save some stuff for a rainy day. I um, better start mm-hmm. having plan B and C just in case I'm not able to do what I used to do. And ever since that standpoint, I've been in a much better position, both financially employment-wise, career-wise, all that stuff. I'm I'm catching a theme here. That's what you you hurt something on your body. You know, you, (laughs) shoulder, bend, nose. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It gets your stuff in gear, right? That's all right. Nothing nothing will wake you up like breaking something. That's so true. Uh, But uh, speaking of breaking something, to be honest, and Shane, it's funny, like it's you, you spoke perfectly to I mean, the the mantra, the whole vibe of serial progress seeker, man, it's a, it's about freedom and it's about being able to set up a life that that you're happy with, whether it's your work life, your personal life, you know, how are you getting the most fulfillment out of every minute of every day? And that's, that's literally what we focus on, you know, in everything that we do. And, and it's, it's, it's fun to be kind of in this scenario, but it's also about, you know, when, when we talk about like, you know, something you said a minute ago, made me think about the fact that I've had to go through a little bit of a decoding of my own head because I'm the same way as you. I, I, I really had to break down because I was raised, you know, the same way I've got to work this, you know, this career and I've got to, you know, make this amount and I've got to have these benefits and I've got to have these things in place for my life to work the way that it's supposed to work. And I've had to do some real decoding um, of my own. And it's honestly, it's a work in progress because there's, you know, there's still some things that I still need to kind of figure out, but it's the process of it is exciting. And, uh, and I think that's kind of what you're leaning to, too, is, is, you know, picking up things along the way, picking up these new skills and sharpening new skills and testing maybe your boundaries and what you thought you were capable of and stuff like that. That's all about seeking progress. And that's literally everything that we do around here. So obviously 
And you can obviously relate to, you know, the changes that come in your career and your life. So for anyone listening right now, you've already touched on a little bit of advice, but you have any additional advice for them as, as, as people are testing their comfort zones and really betting on themselves, kind of like what we're talking about that you want to that you want to share anything further that you think that uh, people can walk away with? Uh, I mean, I'll hit the, the main thing and then I'll add a, a small piece that I guess would fit for this question. One being the more you know about something, less scary it is. All right. The ideas are great, but don't let, well, I've never done that before. Or I don't know if I like it to stop you immediately. Go find out. Mm-hmm. Find somebody that's doing it already is the best thing I could tell you to do because I, I've found somebody and I didn't even know he drove trucks. Like I said, he was a friend of a friend, but I happened to be talking to my friend about what I'm thinking of doing. He goes, you know, I got a buddy that's been doing it for like eight years. I'm like, no, I didn't know. Wow. <laughs> and the next thing you know, all the stuff, cause I'm sitting there like, man, 250,000 for a truck and a rig and man, the insurance, I mean, if this falls, this is going to crush, you know? And then he goes, Hey, let me tell you what you need to do. Just get your CDL license, pay for that yourself. So you can work for anybody. Go pick a company, work for two years, and you're going to know. And then if you know you like it, call me at two years and we can go finish out the rest. And when he said that, everything, all the anxiety for the most part of my body just vanished. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, yeah, I can do that. That's simple. That don't even put me in the hole. We can right. make this work. And so if you're looking out there and it happened to me, um, you don't have to be as analytical as I do, but the more steps you look and the further out ahead you look, the less scary that path is, I swear to you. And then the final little piece on the side is surround yourself with a network of people that support because yeah. my wife was gung-ho and she was as scared as I was thinking about this idea. But, you know, having her support helped, you know, talk to my brother and my dad. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. If it don't work, we'll figure it out, you know. And next thing you know, you're starting to feel taller. You become five yeah. seven, five eight, five nine, And next thing you know, you're out that door and you do it. And if you fail, once again, it's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, learn from it and, and move on. But life was way too short to do stuff you don't like. And there's a lot of those people out there. I'm sure you two would agree, right? Oh, man. We talked about that just last week. Um, If you're having to go to a job that you absolutely hate to pay for the house and the boat and the cars and the stuff, then you've got your life. Your priorities are all mixed up. (laughs) Yeah. And you can make decisions, right? Those things can be put on paper. You can find Mm -hmm. out, hey, I really like this job and it pays X amount. How can my lifestyle fit in there? And I guarantee it's a smaller house and maybe an older car, but the... You're, you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't put a price tag on that. And I, I no. used to think that was the corniest card that you could buy at a, <laughs> at a Dollar Tree. But it was it was it's absolutely 100 percent true. Yeah, because when you're happy, you're healthier. Yep. So true, man. It's always so cool to be able to hang out with friends that we uh, we we know that are kind of doing the same thing we are you're out there making your your mark in the world man and you I, and obviously just by talking to you in the last several minutes and I already knew this about you but you subscribe to kind of the same vibe that that we all do here at Serial Progress Seekers so thank you for coming on today and uh we're excited to keep following your journey and of course uh you know always wish you the best buddy I uh, appreciate it. you guys having me on there. My best uh, to you guys in the future and say hello to Ben for me. Uh, I, I really enjoy the perspective he puts out in all of his social media posts. Uh, I would say that he's the most positive uh, guy that I really don't know that well that I read frequently. So, yeah. I, I mean, to, to, for what that's worth. And uh, the, Ben, the one thing I can tell you if you're watching this thing, 
that I should have known being so analytical is when he said from a chiropractic point of view, if I don't go in the office, I don't get paid. And I'm thinking, that's right. I better think about that too, because at uh-huh. some point I'm not going to get paid anymore. If I want to <laughs> stop working, I better figure that part out. So yeah. he's got yeah. me putting some stuff to pencil right now as we, uh, <laughs> as we speak because of that. Uh, so I, I appreciate what you guys do. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Serial Progress Seeker podcast. If you want to listen to more episodes, learn more about our mission, or send us questions or feedback about the show, go to SerialProgressSeeker.com. You can help the mission by subscribing, reviewing, rating, and commenting wherever you listen to or watch podcasts.